You're listening to a Wheeler Centre podcast. just like I know who I am off stage I know how we're perceived within our communities and like I'm proud and I want to make fun of that and just talk about the things that I find funny and that won't always make people comfortable but that's not my job. The following event was recorded on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. The Wheeler Centre acknowledges their elders past and present. We pay respects to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and to the elders of the lands this podcast reaches. Good evening and welcome to Disruptive Comedy. My name's Adam Hills. I'll be your host uh, this evening. We are mainly discussing uh, comedy's ability um, (laughs) to break down barriers tonight. We have... um, Alex over here signing. Uh, we also have Mac who's going to be joining in. Uh, I'd like to introduce the people on stage. Firstly, uh, the woman to my left took out first place in the national final of the Raw Comedy Competition, the Melbourne International Comedy Festival in April 2022. She's performing as part of Comedy Zone at the Trades Hall. Please welcome Alexandra Hudson. Uh, next to her is uh, a lady who won Best Newcomer Award at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in 2022 and won the Funny Stage Women Award in London in 2021. Uh, she's on at the Western at 7.20, Laura Ricotte. <laughs> and on the end, a man who hails from Albury and has played all the major venues in the local area, the Wagga <laughs> Comedy Festival, the Riverina Comedy Club and the Ulladulla Comedy Festival. <laughs> He's also appeared as a guest on Dylan Alcott's podcast, Listenable. It's Oliver Hunter. Uh, So welcome, everybody. Uh, Welcome, all of you. I'm going to start by asking a question that someone once described the moment they fell in love with comedy as as like a kid or whatever age, as like almost like a Scooby-Doo moment, almost like a moment of going... <laughs> what was the moment uh, for you? I'll start with Alexandra. What was the moment that you fell in love with comedy? Um, I think it was watching. Uh, I think for me, it was watching. Um, oh, what was it? It was Dave Chappelle in Men in Tights. It wasn't, and it wasn't comedy. It was just like his sketch. The, the, Mel, the Mel Brooks you know, movie. Yeah, the mm-hmm. Mel Brooks movie. I think that's like seeing that as a kid. And then obviously his career, and obviously it's quite controversial now, but <laughs> it, like, I, that, that's my first memory of comedy as such. Like, that movie is, like, burned into my brain. And obviously, I, yeah, me even getting into comedy, I'm just like, I don't know how the fuck I got here. So, <laughs> um, I yeah. love the idea that somewhere Dave Chappelle would have heard the beginning of that and gone, yep, I've inspired another person. <laughs> yeah. Oh, from Men in Tights. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, and not even from his comedy, but just from him <laughs> as a character. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what about you, Lara? Um, I think it was, my. I had a really funny grandma. I had one of those funny grandmas that would, like, take out her teeth when she shouldn't, you know, like that type of thing, like, all of the time. Um, I think it was like mainly the teeth taking out situation, um, just because it was like 
we, we had like a tense family that would fight, like tense, and, and then she'd take out her teeth. And it was like, <laughs> not the moment, of course. Um, <laughs> but doing that, like that type of situation, uh, like was always just really, really nice to have in my, in my family. And I always had that because of my, my grandma. So I think she was, yeah, she was just like, this is the way to be a person, I thought. Okay, so quite an eclectic mix so far. Dave Chappelle in Men in Tights and your grandma. My grandma. Oliver? I think for me it's a couple of things. Um, watching the gala, the comedy festival gala, growing up at like 14, 15, watching it on, that was the only exposure we ha- I had to stand up. Mm-hmm. So watching like you and Will Anderson and, and going, what are these guys doing? And then, and, and until I was like 15, this is too old to think this, but I thought you all had real jobs. I thought you all just, uh, I thought you just showed up to Melbourne for like five minutes, did a couple of, like, made, had some laughs and then went and was an accountant for the other three of uh, um, But even my, my, when I decided to do it, my first gig, about half, my very first gig, halfway through it, I remember thinking, I'm going to do this forever. Yeah. Like, that was that was the moment I went. Yeah. I love this, and yeah. how whatever happens, prefer, if I go, if I do it full time, whatever, it's gonna be a thing I do forever. Yeah. Is that the same for everyone? I totally for yeah. me. Yeah. yeah. The first time I did it, I was like, oh yeah. 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 <laughs> this is it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I remember people laughed, and I was just like, "Oh fuck!" All right, I'm sorry. I keep swearing, but like, I was just like, "Whoa, okay, this is the best feeling ever." I was like, uh, what is I this? I certainly, because I mean, we were talking uh, that backstage. There was a lovely conversation about back, backstage about how long you've been doing it, uh, which really clunked when I said thirty-four years. <laughs> Um, but I remember being 19, and at that yeah. point, I was at university, and I had I had tried di- various hobbies. Yeah. And I remember doing my first open mic night. It was university holidays, and then saying, oh, I want to go back to this every Wednesday. And my mum going, not when you've got university the next day. And I, was, I remember saying to her, this is the thing I'm going to stick at, at 19. And, oh. I mean, I may have just stuck at it to <laughs> prove her wrong. <laughs> Um, and so when, when you when what did you learn from I was going to say what did you learn from watching comedy I don't know what you learned from Dave Chappelle yeah. in tights. what not to do <laughs> what, what did you take away from what did comedy mean to you at that age well I think it was just like oh even just Mel Brooks and just the storytelling mm-hmm. and like even like you know Robin Hood it's such an iconic story and just the complete ridiculousness that they added to it and just made it so more so much more colourful and I think that's what I love about comedy is you can kind of take the mundane life things that happen Mm -hmm. and turn them into like yeah like I like to make fun of non-disabled people just for doing like making me feel bad about mundane things in my life (laughs) so I just like the idea that you can just take kind of mundane and add life to things and then suddenly it evolves into this like even when you start doing a joke it it will start here and then it will just keep growing and suddenly it's over here and you're like wow that is really (laughs) there's life to it and it keeps it just keeps getting better and so, and same. What did you learn from your grandmother taking her teeth out? Yeah, no, I, I think that that's the thing that I guess it's like probably something that we all have in common. It's like with being like I'm hard of hearing, and uh, like so I wear hearing aids, and we have sort of like, and my oldest sister is hard of hearing, and my family is just really sort of bad at talking. I mean, any any family that only has like some people that are disabled and some people that aren't, just like you don't know how to talk about it and those sort of things. It's like humor in that mix just makes everything 
it actually makes it accessible. It makes it yeah. accessible to have a conversation about a thing that you just wouldn't have had a conversation about otherwise. Um, because if you're just joking about it, then then it's fine. Also, my my grandma was like the first. Per- that that's the thing when you're when you're hard of hearing, people think you might just be dumb because you don't respond. Um, which is like you you might also be dumb, but <laughs> it's not it's not it doesn't like cancel each other out. But in our case, we weren't necessarily dumb. Yeah. Um, my older sister and I weren't, and my grandma was like, I don't think these are dumb girls. I think they're just hard of hearing. Um, but nobody took my grandma seriously, obviously, hence the teeth. Um, <laughs> but uh, but it, yeah, after a while, it, it was it, it was her actually who who ended up like figuring like taking us to to the people who let us know that we had that. Wow. Um, so that's really good. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think in terms of like what what I learned from comedy, my mom always used to put like uh, I think it's also Mel Brooks. It's like a um, Young Frankenstein, you know that Gene Wilder one. <laughs> yeah, so stupid that movie. Um, <laughs> it's great. It, that was like that, and, and like Lucille Ball, and it was just like also that, that's the thing. It's like it's just funny because because it's so silly. It's yeah. so so silly. Yeah. Um, and silliness is such a great part of life. Like adding just a little bit of silly to the mix will change anything. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know what I said. I, I, think, I think for me, it was also as well, when I look back in sort of my childhood, my family as well. My fam, my mum's hilarious. Um, my brother is funny, but he doesn't know it. Um, <laughs> we're laughing at him. Um, but my mum's, and I think for, for us, it was, uh, we went, you know, I went through some pretty hectic times with, um, you know, operations and hospital visits and doctors and stuff. And you realise that, Laughing and jokes as a yeah. coping mechanism yeah. and a bit yeah. of a defense mechanism, which sometimes can be a little bit unhealthy. <laughs> yeah. But broadly, and like I realize that getting people to laugh is a great way to sort of educate and, and, and make them feel comfortable around. So when I went to uni and met was meeting a whole bunch of new like people my age, 19, 20, it might have been the first time they saw someone or met someone with a disability. So I'd, you know, I'd make jokes like, oh, we're going to get so drunk tonight, I'm, I'm going to start walking. Like, <laughs> you know, those sort of just silly things like that. And like you're talking about the silliness and, and, you know, the fact that I would go to the nightclubs and I would, you know, do that. And for some people that was... Huge. And to be friends with someone that does that and is that sort yeah. of ridiculous um, is was a fun thing. And, um, yeah, but that was the thing too. I realised pretty early on, even before I started comedy, getting people to laugh um, was pretty cool. Um, and so we, you've mentioned your disability is your, your hearing. I've got cerebral palsy. So I was and, and I've also got cerebral palsy. Sick. Oh, yeah. yeah. Double do up. You, <laughs> do you feel like We're looking everywhere. at him, you've got the shit version? Like, yeah, me. Oh, yeah, I want a wheelchair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, honestly, I hate walking, and walking has been the biggest bane of my existence my whole life, and it just made me think, like... So I had, I used to walk on my toes when I was 15, uh, until I was 15, and I had my Achilles tendon cut, and they broke my femur, like, just so I could walk with my heel on the ground. And I was in a wheelchair, and my leg was stuck out like this... Um, in front of me and I couldn't use crutches because I'm onco and the, the plaster was too heavy. And my siblings, so I'm a triplet and we've got an older sister and our older sister thought it'd be funny if they get, she got a Milo tin and wrote donations <laughs> and wheel me down the street. <laughs> 
So yeah, you know, it's that kind of, but it was fun. Like, we got heaps of money. <laughs> you know, Alex, you can just commit to the chair. Yeah. You can just be like, that's know, what I'm that's, doing now. That's the thing. It's yeah. like, I probably could. And I'm like. Because if, if walking's, this is quite a serious thing, but if walking's difficult for you, just get a chair. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I think because it's been such a thing that I've done. And I, I have, like, I can walk, but I'm just the slowest person. So I, I think I do like that, and I wig people out, and I'm, I trip yeah, over yeah, cool. a lot, and that's fine because, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Nice. It's, it's, it is what I, I think because I've just done it for so long. Yeah. There will come a time where I probably will be in a chair yeah. and it's like sick. Yeah. I, can't wait. I can't wait. I'll yeah. retire and I'll be on endo and life, life will be good. Yeah. I know it's a thing because Rosie, this is off topic, but Rosie Jones, who's yeah. also here at the festival, um, a few years ago she was in Tokyo for the Paralympics and yeah. they provided her with a scooter, mobility scooter, and she kind of said it changed her life a little bit. Yeah. And in fact, we were on the same flight over. Um, two nights ago I landed and Rosie was on the same flight and um, long story, we, we basically we got off in Perth and I said I'll wait for you and I'll take you to the lounge and we went to the lounge because I'm fancy um, Adam's not like us uh, <laughs> uh, but then when we got to Sydney uh, I couldn't. I basically said I'll meet you at the baggage carousel. So I went down the baggage carousel, and I was thinking, I wonder where Rosie is. I feel bad that I've left her behind. Yeah. And then she came up, being pushed on a wheelchair, going, "What?" <laughs> yeah. And then in front of like everyone in the baggage baggage carousel, went, "I'm more disabled than you." <laughs> good. Good. So there is a form of top trumps that goes on. Yeah. Okay. So when when did you decide to do comedy? So for me, it was a bit of a happy accident. Um, a friend of mine suggested I do a workshop, a comedy workshop in 2019. And I had no clue that I wanted to do comedy. I just decided to do this workshop because um, I just wanted to challenge myself. And I thought it'd be the most hectic thing that I ever do. But I discovered it is the most hectic thing <laughs> I'll ever do, but it's also the most fun. And so, yeah, I did that workshop and then I kind of, COVID happened and I just kind of forced myself to do an open mic and then that went well and I was like whoa and then suddenly I was like gigging in Brisbane and driving up to the two hours or three hours on the Pacific Highway spending way more time on the highway than ever on stage <laughs> but it's a like it's so addictive and it just that's how it started for me yeah and I love it yeah, for me, I've been doing it for like uh, four and a half years. I live in Amsterdam. Um, I'm from Mexico, but I live in, in Amsterdam. And uh, I, I just, I did it once um, because I took an improv class. I took an improv class that was just like a really fun, my little sister told me to take an improv class and I told, took an improv class and I was like, oh, this is really great. This is just like, you get to just have fun with other adults and you don't have to talk, um, which is so nice. <laughs> um, and I, I did that and it, like a week later, uh, I, I signed up to an open mic. That went really well and it was in, a, so in Amsterdam, there's not really like a comedy scene. So it was like either have a night or you don't really get to gig very often. And so I started a, a comedy night with a friend in my university and then we were just like doing that once a week and then that sort of just like 
but it was good because there was only like maybe four women, which is not good in the comedy scene, but I, that meant that I got to have like 15 minutes at a time Amazing. when like I should not have been having 15 <laughs> minutes at a time, but I was. And so that gave me just a lot of stage time um, really early on. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was how it, how it happened for me. Well, and that's the interesting thing with the three of you, just I, I know from talking backstage is you know, this could also be a panel about doing comedy when you live in an unlikely place to do comedy. Because <laughs> yeah. you're Byron Bay, yeah. you're the Netherlands, and you... I'm from Albury, grew up in Albury, but I started uh, comedy in Wollongong, of all places. Of course. Um, as, <laughs> oh, yeah. as you do, pump, it was a pump and scene at one point, to be fair. Um, <laughs> I just got thrown, I saw a sign for the Wollongong Comedy Club, and I was a bit drunk in the back of a cab. Um, and I was like, oh, I'm going to find out about doing comedy. Um, and I emailed uh, the guy, Stu is his name. He's still in this, doing it. Uh, and I said, hey, uh, can I do a spot? And he got back to me and said, yeah, here are three dates. Um, you, it's a pro night, but you, I'll slot you in and do five minutes. We don't have an open mic night yet because we don't have a lot of new, fresh comedians. So just pick one and do do three to five minutes. And and I picked the furthest one from the day that I got the email. <laughs> yeah. um, so I had six weeks to. And he said to me, he was great. He said, just write two jokes, and if and that's all you need. I need from you just to. I want people to like you and forget you. And, and then, and then, if you're good, and then we met up afterwards, and and he said, "I think you got something. I want to help you do it." Amazing. And, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then I know you then started creating more you more gigs for yeah. yourself. So in Albury, and I work with. There's a good crew in Wagga, which is about two hours from Albury. But I think for me, physical access is a battle. Like a lot of rooms in the cities, like Melbourne, Sydney, it's they're either you know downstairs, upstairs, through a tunnel. Um, so it was for me I had a moment even like this time last year after the festival because the festival is great because it's not it's like this utopia for comedy yeah and you get to the end and then I sort of had this real moment of like somewhat despair and I was real like depressed because I'm like where's my next gig coming um, what's how am I going to do this and then I sort of sat back and went well you can either quit or you figure it out so you do some digging around I, I knew a lot of people anyway and I found some accessible gigs already, but then I've started I've, in the last sort of yeah six months, really working on with venues that are accessible. If they don't have a gig, why not? And let's get a gig going because yeah. I want a good gig to start with for other for other comedians, but I also selfishly want my own stage time. So yeah. um, similar to you, uh, Lana. So yeah, it's um, I, that's all. That's sort of the mentality I have is just figure it out, or and it'll it'll happen. Um, Do you think that's a disability thing? Because I think. We've all got disabilities yeah. and we've all had to figure something out yeah. and work our way past something. Yeah. Yeah. So whatever it is in life, I'd like to think that it's kind of, I, I don't want to use that word superpower because it's overused, but mm. it's certainly a benefit of having a disability is you, you adapt, you learn how to adapt. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I don't hear so many things that I'm always just getting by. I feel it's such a weird thing because without he like hearing, not hearing well, like I have really good hearing aids now, so that's really good. They have Bluetooth. Um, but um, <laughs> that's amazing. And like that really changed my life. But when I don't, like even, I think I, I hear like seven out of 10, if that means anything to anyone. Um, like, so a lot of things I just get sort of by context. Like I just kind of just, I'm like, hope. Hope I got it right. And I'll just go with like the first kind of gut feeling of like what I think. Yeah. And like a lot of times it's right. And if it's not, it's also always really funny. <laughs> That's mainly the thing. It's like whatever I thought, I'll just go with that. And um, people have a good time with that. That's a fun thing to do. 
Well, we had that backstage when Alexandra was talking about P and O cruises. I heard pedo cruises. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I was like, that's what you have here in Australia? That's super weird. (laughs) All right, so here's my next question then. (laughs) Um, When, okay, so when, how long after you started doing comedy, like, did you start talking about your disability? Because I'm assuming it varies because yours is clearly more visible, Oliver. Yeah. So did you start off with jokes about Mine was it? my first joke immediately. I was like, elephant in the room, I'm not going to stand up. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a, right now, I like vomit inside when I hear that joke because it's a real, <laughs> so to me, a real hacky kind of joke. But I just got straight up there and went, this is the thing. Um, let's get on board. And, and that's sort of been my mentality ever since. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, he said, Adam, very visible. I can't um, hide it uh, or anything with a pant leg. Like, uh, like you got the luxury of doing that. So, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's Adam's. He, he actually has one. Um, so, yeah, he's not just in it for the. He's not just in it for the parking, everyone. Uh, but no, I think for me it was straight. Obviously, straight away, I just went. This is a big part of me. This isn't my only thing. But also a big thing for me was when I wrote my first bit or proper jokes that weren't related to my disability. It was a big... That was when I went, oh, I can be a comedian. Right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I feel yeah. that exact same thing. Yeah. So that you... Because sometimes you're like, oh, maybe this is why I'm funny and this is maybe the whole thing. Yeah. Like, and if I stop talking about my hearing aids or the fact that I can't hear stuff, maybe people don't want to hear about the other stuff that I want to talk about. Um, and I think I just... So I've been doing it like four and a half years. I think I just did, um, like, maybe a year ago, my first, like... 15 minutes where I just didn't mention it and it was crazy to me to do that yeah it it was like and and then that's but the thing yeah because if I don't say it they don't know so so that it's I'm just like oh I'm just a regular girl (laughs) oh yeah that's a weird that's a weird thing that somebody would I don't know like I I usually don't get heckled when I talk about it obviously because it's offensive uh, to (laughs) heckle me Um, but um yeah like it's nice to kind of be like to see if oh maybe I will get heckled I don't know I don't want to um, but but yeah I, I think I didn't do it the first time I, I went on stage I didn't talk about my hearing aids and the second time I went on stage I had to write new material because it was in the same night because there was only one night in Amsterdam at the time um, and so I had to write like 10 new minutes which is so long and then I talked about my hearing aid the second time um, and then I just kind of was like oh this is this is what I have to say. Like, this is what's interesting about me. Um, I think I, that's what I ended up doing my hour now is, like, my hour is called Girl Latin Deaf, and it's, like, kind of about, like, what my minority groups I'm in. Feels like people want to hear about that when they find out that you're a minority in so many ways. Um, but it's also nice to be able to say, okay, great, didn't that, like, now this is what I find funny now. It has nothing mm-hmm. to do with, with the fact that I can't hear, even though, like, the fact that I can't hear made my personality the way that it is. Um, yeah. Yeah. Alex? Yeah, well, for me, um, yeah, I pretty much exclusively at this point talk about disability. um, And I see it as making people uncomfy in their seats as payback for making me uncomfy in the streets. So, (laughs) (laughs) Um, because I just sort of like, you know, because obviously sitting here, it's not obvious, but when I'm out in the world, people always just do weird shit to me. <laughs> so I think it's just like, until I run out of material that I think's funny, and that's about mostly making fun of non-disabled people, I'm definitely keen to not always talk about it, but I still feel like I'm still working out my voice and talking about who I am. So for yeah. me, I, but I love, you know, I love talking about this stuff. 
and I love making non-disabled people uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the difference, right? Yeah. It's like when you decide that, like, you talk about it because you want yeah. to, not because you feel like people want you to yeah. talk about it. Yeah. And, yeah. Right, it's like it's like an accent or something. That you're like, why isn't she saying anything about the fact that she can't say the S? Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> that type of thing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and I found, so when I started doing comedy... <laughs> um, I remember the, so, similar thing to you. I was doing, um, I was emceeing at the comedy store in Sydney, and uh, there were only 50 people in the second show, but 40 of them had been in the first show. And I only had 15 minutes of material, and I had done all my material. So I thought I would do a joke about my foot. And I said, oh, I've got a prosthetic leg. Um, and I said, uh, told, I said, I was at a party the weekend before, and someone had said, Can you still have sex? <laughs> And I left it at that. And I, afterwards, one of the older comics took me aside and he said, you're not good enough to talk about your leg yet. And I was like, what? What? And he said, you're still learning no. how to do comedy. Like, it was only early on. And he said, yeah. you're still learning how to do comedy, right? You don't know what you... All you did was say a funny thing about it. You didn't say anything. He said, you need to... And he was like... It was, it was pretty bold of him. He said, yeah. you need to get better. You need to apply your craft and get really good at this. And work out why you want to talk about it. And when you do that, you will be unstoppable. So for 13 years, I never mentioned my prosthetic leg. Shut up. And because people couldn't see it. Like, yeah. if you walked on stage, people didn't know. Yeah. And then it was only, and I ended up talking about it on stage, it was after September 11. I went through Heathrow Airport three days after September 11. And my foot set off the metal detectors. And I ended up turning it into a bit because the guy was like, what's going on? And I went, oh, it's a prosthetic leg. And he went, oh, shit, sorry, go through, go through. Yeah. <laughs> didn't check. Yeah, 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 just didn't check. Didn't look. And, I, you know, I, the, the punchline I came up with was, like, he had a look on his face that said, I don't care if the plane goes down. I don't want to offend a spastic. Just go, just go. <laughs> um, yeah. But that line, that line summed up why I wanted to talk about my foot, which yeah. is like, why are you so freaked out? It's fine to ask me about it. Yeah. It's fine to check. I'd rather know that the plane's safe. <laughs> yeah. and, that's, and that's when I realised that also coincided with the first year in Edinburgh that I was nominated for the Perrier Award. So something in my head went, oh, you've been nominated for this thing, so you must be good enough now. Yeah. yeah. And now I've also worked out why I want to talk about it, which is to make people comfortable with it. So all of those things came together at once but I found as soon as I similar as soon as I went on stage and talked about it you could feel the audience go why are you telling us this <laughs> yeah. we, we can't see it it's not obvious yeah. why are you bringing this up so I had to then explain why, why I was yeah. talking about it so and which kind of leads me to my next question which is how did people react when you start because I, I dare say it's different yeah. reactions because with you Oliver as you said it's the elephant in the room they can see you're in a wheelchair you do a joke about it I'm assuming there's relief straight away. Yeah, I mean, and a lot of the gigs um, I do at these pokey little bars that I can get to and, and clubs, I actually can't get on the stage a lot of the time, so I do mm. it in, like do it in the audience. So I have to riff, like make jokes about how not getting on the stage, like oh, I rolled the ankle, like all those just real <laughs> silly. But like that's another way to go. Yeah. Let's relieve some tension. Like I'm gonna, this is it's happening here, so get on get on my level yeah. and get on board because this yeah. is where I'm doing it. Like, I can't... It's, it's be easier for me to do it here. There's, but there's not that lift in... I, if I could bring that lift everywhere, <laughs> uh, that would be great. Yeah. But, yeah, like, that's... I think, yeah, I just... I sort of take that moment and not, like, make a TED talk about it, but just go, get on my level. This yeah. is how I'm doing it. So yeah. let's, let's have a good time. And what about you, Lara? Did people, like... Was, do you think it was obvious to people when you walked on stage that 
uh, you were deaf? No, um, right. no, yeah, I mean, definitely, I don't think, I think a lot of people don't know, they just think I have, like, a retainer, and that's mostly what people think, <laughs> but I don't, I swallowed it a long time ago. Um, I, um, I just came up with that yesterday, I was really happy when I wrote that. Um, I, I what's it called, um, no, I, I think, sometimes I feel like, uh, like, when it's, like, a Friday night, and you're at a like, club, and you're, like, I, I'm gonna talk about my disability now, I feel like people are, like, shut your freaking mouth right now, we're trying to have a good time on a Friday, and, like, you're bringing up your disability, like, yeah, there's problems in the world. Um, um, but I, I have, I don't know, and it's probably like a mixture of like being a woman and also being um, disabled that you want like everybody to be okay all of the time. And it's like th- this like like feeling of like wanting to have, to, to bring it up with all of the lightness in the world. It's like, don't, it's like, yeah, I am, but don't even worry about it because, because we're going to have so much fun. You know what I mean? And it's just like this sort of thing where you're just like trying to keep it light all of the time. Um, I, I think one day when I'm comfortable enough, probably in 13 years, um, I will do a show where like I talk about the things that I genuinely feel about it. Yeah. Um, but I think because I started talking about it so early on my comedy career, um, I think I just kind of like my relationship to my disability is like, this is the place of my, this is, this is funny. This is funny period, you know? Um, yeah. I, don't, I don't have, like, like a, an emotional relationship with my disability. Um, also because my sister does. My, sister, my older sister is disabled, like, the same way. And she has an emotional relationship to it. And, um, like, kind of, like, shame-related. So I'm always... I had the feeling, like, I can't have shame in this. Like, there can't be... I have to be just, like, cool about it. I talk about it. I don't even care, <laughs> you know? Um, but at the same time, of course, yeah, there is... There are shame aspects. And there are, like, a lot of things that I think, like... I'm still, like, I'm young, and I've, I've known I'm disabled since I was, like, three years old, but, like, th- there's, there's so many things. I'm going so in-depth. <laughs> but there's so many things about, like, your personality that have to do with the fact that you are disabled that yeah. you don't really know, I guess. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, yeah. I hadn't really... Um, but now you bring that up about the relationship with disability, like, I, it's probably improved for me, like, my relationship with my disability through stand-up, because also telling jokes about it and being funny about it, um, like, yeah, and making money off its hand as well. Yeah, that's the good uh, part. Monetizing it's pretty sweet. Um, if you, um, I'm the guy you get when you can't afford Dylan Alcott. Uh, <laughs> so if you need a keynote, guys, let me know. Uh, Dylan charges five figures in a car. I charge four figures in a beer. So, um, but no, I, I think that's... And yeah, just be open about it. I've become more open about it because I'm talking about it on stage and then that's opened up my life to a lot of other things and as I said it's improved my relationship I was never sort of denying it because it's hard to deny when it's sort of this like visible but yeah it's definitely improved in the last eight years since I started stand up and then so for you especially gigging in Queensland yeah. which can be kind of rough yes. what, what, what's the audience reaction like? Um, so I'll say like kind of opposite to you I don't like to make people f- I, I, I don't like to reassure people in my comedy. <laughs> I want to make them laugh and I do a really good job of doing that. So I kind of, but I'm, I'm so tired of being the disabled woman who has to like, oh, it's okay. Yeah. I'll hold space for you. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, you're so, I'm like, no, actually I'm annoyed at you. And I, that's like, oh, I've, 
I think, like, we can all agree, growing up disabled can be really tough. Yeah. You know, like, it's not... I, it, it's I'm, not a walk in the park. It's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very long walk. Yeah. <laughs> Still there. <laughs> is she okay? Where is she? No, um... <laughs> You know, I, I spent, I'm, I'm now 35, I spent my 20s just like depressed and sad and I got to my late 20s and I was just like, no, I love being a cripple. This is who I am. So it's who I've always been and yeah, it's not my job. It's like, it's not my job to make people feel comfortable. It's their job to be better, you know, to be more inclusive and change shit for us so yeah. in my in my comedy I'm really mindful of not letting people off the hook and it can be really awkward sometimes and Queensland can be particularly hostile I don't know what if it's like a because I'm from New South Wales thing and they can feel that <laughs> <laughs> or, is it because um, you're not drinking Forex is that yeah, I prefer VB it's yeah, really yeah. Um, I do like the idea that audiences in, in Queensland are like, we don't care about the disability. You support the wrong team. <laughs> but, yeah, I think for me it's... Well, I think Queensland's actually made me a better performer because it's made you kind of really... You have to get good quick because they're either... They're too drunk to listen or yeah. they, they want to fight you <laughs> or they're just... <laughs> no, not really. But I... For me, it's just like I know who I am off stage. I know how we're perceived within our communities. And like I'm proud and I want to make fun of that and just talk about the things that I find funny. And that won't always make people comfortable, but that's not my job, you know? I'm not I'm not a Paralympian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So what what are the challenges that you all faced uh, you know, getting into comedy in the industry but with a disability so as clear, let's start again with Oliver because access is, is yeah, the first I one. touched on it before but access is the is the big one uh, I the conversation I've had with uh, with so many comedians the point where I had got a little I've got a little bit snappy but I, I try and keep it cool is they'll go I'll be new to when I was new to the Melbourne scene I'll do a gig and I'll do well enough and they'll go Oh, I got you on the. I can get you this gig. I got you that gig. I run this night. And I'm like, what's the access like? And they're like, oh yeah, it's up four flights of steps, or it's down three flights of steps, or you know, it's in a tunnel. Um, so then they go, oh yeah, you couldn't do that one. You couldn't do this one. And so I'm, I'm at a point. I've figured it out now where I can probably there's at least one gig a night on the, the seven day week that I could get on, but um, there's so many that you can't. And and this guy, this is might sound a bit hypocritical, and I've sort of had to make peace with this. But there are even gigs like I do that I can physically get to that aren't in officially accessible venues. Mm. So then I'm kind of like like at a bar in Brunswick, it's up one step, but once you're in, it's up one step, and then once you're in, it's flat, and I can get to a stage or get to the microphone. But it might not have an accessible bar, or it might be flat off the street, but it might not have an accessible bathroom. So mm. I either have to clock where a toilet is somewhere else yeah. or just um, do the spot and then go because I'm like, well, I, have, I can't sit here for two hours with the other comedians because I can't go to the toilet. Um, yeah. So that, that's hard too because then I'm like, I'm excluding my own people in some way because I'm like, well, I, mm. I can get to the gig because it's up one step. I'm in a manual chair. I can transfer and I'm pretty strong. But if you're in a big power chair, um, mm. you couldn't get up a step. Yeah. Um, so that that is tough, but 
if I if I went exclusively pro, like properly fully accessible venues, I'd have two gigs I could do in a in a week in right. Yeah. yeah. So you can you can get into the venue, but other people in wheelchairs in the audience possibly can't. Yeah. Right. So that's that's that, that's something I had to reconcile and go right. And but then as I said, if I if I went with this hard line of it has to be accessible bathroom and mm. like like a venue like this, then I'd do two gigs a month. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that but it, the physical access is is the issue because I I know people that as I said run these gigs in inaccessible venues, and from a talent point of view and just from a networking point of view, I could get on all these other spots, but you can't like, even. The, and I don't want to throw too much shade at the festival thanks for having me um <laughs> but there was there's like three or four major venues like and also artist hangouts that i can't access right yeah. so whether it's a showcase venue or just an artist bar or other comedy clubs yeah i can't get to them right so that's that's a battle but that's yeah. that's the conversation i had with myself a year ago and, and bit by bit by bit that starts to change, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Um, I, I'm a bit tired of the argument. Oh, it's an old building, so <laughs> bad luck. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, well, we did fix it. You would have fixed the bathroom since 1804. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> uh, it's so, like, can we, can we work on it? We, can we work on it? Like, I see like, a lot of non-disabled people using lifts. So yeah, they yeah. love them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So but that's as I said, that's that's what I've had to figure out, and I really had to work on my relationship with stand up because I think between the, the, the four of us, the last thing I want to become is bitter. Yeah. Um. So I, as soon as I become bitter, that's when I have to hang it up. Yeah. But that's that's what I'm trying to avoid, and and I do have a lot of great. Because when I started stand-up, there was an element for me, I went, I, I think I've found my people. Um, so even though it's a battle and there's so much inaccessibility in some ways, I decided as well that I am. I was lucky when I first started, met some great people, yeah. and I went, I'm going to only hang out with good people mm-hmm. in this industry. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was a big moment for me as well. And I would have thought accessibility would have been the issue for you, or yeah. at least an issue for you. What about you, Lara? Uh, yeah, I guess a couple of things. Um, in general, like I read lips, so um, that's really a big part of like my yeah. So that's a really big part of like my access to things. Um, so there's like that part of shows sometimes kind of sucks. Like if I can't like it, yeah, it just means that like I watch a lot of my comedy online instead of like in real life. Um, cause just like sound and stuff in general, like in the bars where I do it, it's like kind of shitty. And if it's not like extra good, then it's just. It's just like so much stuff, like it's just so much trying that I'm like so tired by the end of the day that I just rather not um, do it. Um, and too bad because I love comedy and I want to be in the room. I want to feel everybody. I love that. So I, that would be really nice. It's not that big of a deal, that part. I think the biggest uh, thing is like like being able to be in the room and be in control because like the comic is always like they, they are one step ahead of you and they're like able to, if anything happens in the room, like that you, we love it when they're like, dang, 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 zing at anything that happens, you know, like picking up on the, and I can't do that because I can't understand most of the things. And like, I can't do crowd work, which is like, whatever, boohoo me. But like, <laughs> I can't really, in like, in the ways that people like to be comfortable, it means that everybody, like the lights being off is really helpful for people to laugh at stuff. Um, but then that means like, I'm not super in control of like how much people are laughing at the stuff I'm saying. And like, if they're not, if there are some, sometimes people just smile and it's like, I'm so glad that you're having a good time, but I have no idea, you know? Um, and it, those are like, 
Yeah, because I need, yeah, I just need access to like all of the little bits and pieces of sound. Luckily though, I just got sponsored. My hearing aids got sponsored because of a TikTok that went viral, which is wonderful. Who knew? <laughs> um, and they, this company wrote me and they given me these new hearing aids and they come with like a little microphone so I can kind of like put it in the stage uh, and like technology is getting a lot better. So I'm able to have like th things that really just, they, they make my life so much better and they're, they let me feel like I'm in control. Um, because I think that there's only so many like backs and forth that you can have with the audience when you don't hear what the audience is saying. That's funny for the audience until they're like, okay, can we get on with it? And I'm like, but I'm confused. You know, it's like, I don't know what's going on right now. Yeah. I wish that I knew. I wish I had like a, a better hold. Um, but I think if I'm ever rich and famous, I will have like just little microphones in everywhere in the audience, yeah. um, which I think might be a privacy issue, but I would do it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would. <laughs> and that way I can just like be, I could just be one step ahead. I did do a caption show because I'm I'm hard of hearing and my family just never like we were not involved in like the deaf community because it was always like a diagnosis for later it was like oh you will be deaf um, we have a degenerative hearing loss uh, but it was like hopefully technology will get better <laughs> kind of like the, the thing and so just we just never spoke sign yeah. language and I, I lived in the US and then um, now in the UK and like sign language is different and it's always like when do I learn it when yeah. what kind um, so I'm just like I'm, I'm always like yeah, I, I rely on captions heavily. Um, and uh, I got to do in the Soho Theater in London a caption show with like a stenographer. And that was the coolest thing I've ever done. It was like 13 people who were uh, deaf or hard of hearing came. And like, it, it was just like, that would be my dream thing that that was in every show there was, but I mean, then you have to have a stenographer and that's very expensive. They usually work in court <laughs> and they'd be at like comedy shows to do that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I think that's my, my dream is that I would have always like captioned. My next show is going to be captioned now that I know that, that that's yeah. a possibility. Yeah. Um, but obviously it's expensive and it's always like an out of pocket cost that you have to just be, yeah, putting. But I think that that's my, just like not being in control is kind of like my, Right. My biggest thing. And Alex? I'd say similar to Oliver in terms of accessibility. Because I always have... Cause I, so I can navigate stairs if there's railings and that sort of stuff. But if it's even like... like the festival is great. There's so many shows around this city. But it, it takes me like double time if I'm walking. And Ubers and taxis never want to pick you up in the city because it's such a short distance. They get really annoyed at you. They kind of yell at you. So I'm sick of being yelled at mm -hmm. by a taxi driver who won't drive me 500 metres mm -hmm. because I'm like, oh, well, I'll miss that show. So I've had to kind of manage my expectations of even doing a, whole, a full festival run and being like, how many shows can I see in a night depending on how long it takes me to get from A to B. And it's the same thing, like, I, I need help onto stages if it's a small stage. Um, usually backstage is, like, upstairs. So it's just all those extra things that I have to navigate that, you know, I'd love to just rock up to a gig and know that it's accessible and not have to ask questions or email or... Yeah. or mm -hmm. Or, like, the very least, the venue contacts you to find out what your access needs are. Like, that's what I want to see more of instead of us having to have that constant conversation and us having to ask all these questions. I, I kind of want it to just be assumed, okay, what are, what are your needs? What will make you feel safe and comfortable in this space and what can I do? 
Instead of me being like, hey, you said this, hey, you said this. Yeah. Like, oh, that's, that's I'm yeah. learning Most very Most of my day. <laughs> yeah. The of comedy is like messaging people and they might get back to you. And then they usually get back to you with, nah, sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I found like if I'm performing in a new space, I'll rock up like half an hour earlier yep. just to mm. get oriented to where everything is because I'm like, oh, it could, yeah, it could just be, there could be random stairs or I've got to talk to the MC to get them to help me onto stage and I've got to like, you know, all these kind of logistical things. And I think opposite to you, when I'm actually on stage, I feel the most in control. Mm. Like I don't feel control in any other aspect of my life. Mm. But when I'm on stage performing and talking about what I want to talk about and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is it. This is it. Yeah. And, it and, it, you know, it makes the similar like it's the stuff we put up with in order to just be in these spaces which I think are really frustrating but it's kind of like oh well at least we're up here and we're visible and we're talking about this stuff and so that's how the change you know even though it's so slow it's slower than how I walk so which is frustrating because I'm really slow um it, it is changing so and it's it's such a simple thing yeah that it's possible that people would never have considered it before but if you own a venue and you've got acts on how hard is it to put at the end of the requirements you know what microphone do you need what kind of lighting what What are your access needs what are your access needs it's just a question it's a simple question and you know at the very least someone who books anyone with a disability should think ahead yeah but why should it just be when you're booking people with a disability totally and and that's it i think it's like I, and I get really frustrated as well when people, you know, you can't even point, oh, like when they're like, oh, but this is an old building. I'm like, well, you chose this building to mm. to an extent, you know, like <laughs> it's like, you know, where it's 2023. I'm like, can't we just get rid of the old buildings? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Heritage is overrated. Yeah, Heritage. <laughs> You're virtually, you're virtually saying, oh, don't worry, we've never let disabled people yeah. in. Yeah. Yeah. We it's not a new to, thing. Yeah. <laughs> you right. should have seen it 200 years ago. So what are the positives of having a disability, especially in this industry? Oh, I got we'll, this gig. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll never run out of content. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's really nice to, like... Uh, be able to talk about that sort of thing if you want to on stage. I think it's really nice to like, it's a really great thing to find other people who have the same thing that you have. I think like that's been really nice in terms of like social media, like having talked about it on stage, people people just like ask you for hearing aid recommendations or like people like, <laughs> it's like those sort of things. It's like, I never, I've never had a community aspect um, to my disability. I always felt like that, yeah, I don't know. I just felt like it was another adjective of mine. I'm finding out now that I'm like, these sort of things actually really help me in terms of like, yeah, I, I feel so much, so many times I hear people talk about stuff that I'm like, hey, yeah, me too. I do get, that's hard for me too. And I'm like, yeah, that's what community's about, huh? That's why, that's why people do that, that they hang out with other people who have the same needs. I just never did that. Yeah. Cause I had my sister and I was like, we know, but we didn't talk about it either. Um, so just weird. Um, so I, think, I feel that. Same. Yeah, that's how it was yeah. for me as well. People just like, saying, yeah. And you just, if you, like, I, I had three non disabled siblings. So we were just siblings, you know, and I didn't have, I wasn't connected to the disabled community. 
forever. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. You find out so many things about yeah. yourself. You're like, huh, like th- that, that's why I am the way I am. Yeah. And I mean, stand up, the, the only place where you are just constantly talking, pretty much people are like not allowed to talk to you, <laughs> which is great for if yeah. you can't hear. Yeah. It's like some people break the rules, but in general, really, like yeah. I am in control in that way. It's like, yeah. it's, and I'm so talkative if you have not noticed. <laughs> I talk all of the time and I talk super fast and I'm always trying to get as many words in because I know what I'm saying when I'm saying it. <laughs> but when other people are saying it, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that. Um, so, yeah. I had a nice moment the other day, actually, when um, I was putting up some content to advertise for my show. And um, I got a message, like a message on Instagram from a woman and she said, oh, I have a disability and she goes, I really like the joke. No one, no one, I've never really heard anyone talk funny about disability and I, I do like comedy but I'm always anxious to go because I'm a bit anxious socially as well but I'm going to come to your show. Mm. Uh, I'm going to bring my sister, we're going to come to your show and, and she's seen your clip as well and we're going to come. And I was like, and it has this nice moment of one, I've sold two tickets um, <laughs> and, and two, it's like here's, here's someone that doesn't, may not go out very much yeah. Um, and then I've opened, I've sort of brought down a little barrier for them to just come out and, and enjoy someone that they seem to, they relate to on more than just, I like the comedy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was a cool little thing. And I think, we, I think for me, it's always going to be jokes first. I, as I said, I'm not up here trying to do a TED talk, but if <laughs> I am available. Um, <laughs> but, I did one. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, so yeah, but I think it's always going to be for me jokes first. I think yeah. the idea that we're not, all Paralympians, um, <laughs> and it's okay. I had that. I made that decision too when I was a bit younger. That I'm not going to be Paralympian. So what? <laughs> what else am I going to do? And this is where I've landed. Yeah. So yeah, that was that sort of the benefits for me. I've I've found my own path. That um, you know there isn't this pressure to be a certain thing when you have a disability. I've I've made it happen. Yeah. Uh, well, okay. So on that, I'm going to ask this question: How do we feel about the word inspirational? Oh. And go. <laughs> First thing that comes to my mind is Stella Young. Mm-hmm. Um, inspira- Stella Young. She was a disabled oh. activist from here in Melbourne, I think. Or um, mm-hmm. yeah, and she did a TED talk about yeah. it. Sorry. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, but they it, must pay well. Yeah. Um. <laughs> no, they don't pay at all. Oh, let me well, tell there you. Go. <laughs> um, I was working at Woolies when I was in my 20s and a guy, I was cleaning up a spill of washing powder and a guy wanted to write an article about me. And I was like, wow, this is a great article. Um, I can clean spills yeah. <laughs> that I created. Yeah. <laughs> I'm seeing No, but yeah, it really, it, it, non-disabled people have set the bar so low for us that it's kind of a good thing. Like, we don't have to do much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I, I feel like I'm almost liberated by that idea. But on the other side, it's really annoying. Yeah. So, yeah. and for context, Lara, um, Stella Young coined the phrase inspiration porn. Oh. Of which, which was the kind of fetish, fetishization. Is that a, Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah, yeah. okay. <laughs> of, um, of people with disabilities, of going, oh, my God, let's use them in advertising. And I, I always find there's a fine yeah. line yeah. because I think we are pretty bloody inspirational yeah. sometimes. Yeah. I was going to say, we do yeah. some cool shit. We do but, some cool shit. Yeah. Do you know what? That should be the slogan for yeah. disability. Like, disability. We do some cool <laughs> shit. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and sometimes we do nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Both are cool. So it's an interesting one. Yeah. That, and, you, you know, you're bringing up the idea of Paralympians. Like, not everyone... You know, I know there was a bit of a backlash to, to that idea that they're superhuman because yeah. not everyone is superhuman. Yeah. yeah. Some people with disabilities just want to go to uni or TAFE and get a job and live that life and pay their rent in a share house, yeah. go to a pub. Um, and I think it's talking about that inspiration, like the, ba- the bar so low, there is that, there's the Paralympian level and people go, oh yeah, sick, you're a Paralympian, like that's awesome. But then they're shocked that you... Ha- have a job when yeah like, so how is why i find that gap so fascinating <laughs> yeah it's like a good like kurt fairly crawl kokoda yeah like, that's amazing like, yeah. let's not knock that that's incredible so you can't see that and go yeah cool people with disabilities can do that oh but you work at woolies that's all like <laughs> how do you do that you know, yeah. Well, yeah 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 i don't know i applied <laughs> yeah, like I, that, that's a gap that I always find interesting, and it is it is getting somewhat smaller. Yeah, um, I think it's getting a bit more mainstream. Some of the, the disability chat, but yeah, that that the inspiration word. I I have a, I'm a bit similar to you, Adam. I don't have as much as a visceral relationship with it. I think it's a yeah, just just pick your moments to to use. Yeah, use that's word. a good, that's a good way of putting but it. But I think yeah, the more normal it becomes, yeah. like the more then the less like. Yeah, like if you, it's inspirational if it's an idea of a person, and but if you have a buddy who's disabled, like you're not gonna be inspired, but because you know they eat cereal in bed and stuff yeah. like that, you know, yeah. like, they're like gross, like you and normal, like so it's like yeah. the more yeah. normal that that yeah, the, the closer you are to people with disabilities, the less inspirational it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess. I think to just to I mean round out for me on the point is when I was at uni and doing the nightclub thing and the pub thing and the drinking thing and all that stuff. I I used to get a little I used to have that relationship with it where people go, oh, so I can't how are you out like, and they'd come up to me drunk and it would be a whole thing. And then I was always, would always get snappy and a bit aggressive. And yeah. then a mate did pull me aside and goes, I understand that the ignorance is there and I understand I can. Re- I can someone understand why you're frustrated? Like, I don't, he doesn't have the lived experience like I do. But he goes, look around. How many people in this nightclub are in wheelchairs? Yeah. He goes, one, and you're it. So he said, this person may not have seen a person with a disability in public before, and let alone on a nightclub dance floor, ripping it up. Like, <laughs> so that's, that for me is when I sort of tried to work on my relationship with people's attitudes and sort of where I am now and doing that, doing that sort of work. It's really hard. I, I, I even snapped at someone today. I picked my daughter up from school and we were walking home and the old Greek guy that always walks past was on the other side of the road and shouted out, hello to you. And I'm like, hello. And he went, two days, two more days, then Easter. And I'm like, yay, it's Easter. And then he went, good luck with your recovery. And I was like, what? And I was in shorts. Yeah. And my only th- and I, my only thought was he saw my prosthetic leg and thought I'd hurt myself, yeah. and out loud in front of my daughter and this is why I'm kicking myself. I went, ha ha, thanks, idiot. <laughs> and she went, why is he an idiot? And I went, oh. okay, now I have to explain yeah. that I'm being a dick. Yeah. Yeah. And I went, well, because he he said good luck with your recovery and it's because he thinks I've broken my leg where it's not. I've just got a prosthetic leg. And then I paused and went. Actually, maybe he knows I've just landed and I've got jet lag. Like, it could yeah, have been that. Yeah. Like, for all well, I know, this guy's gone, yeah, you, you, you landed on Monday. Oh, I hope you get some sleep. Maybe yeah. it's because you're a celebrity and he thinks you're in rehab. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's not true. <laughs> so, a final final question to each of you. Um, what what changes would you like to see? Uh, I mean, we've already mentioned one, checking up on accessibility. Yeah. What changes would you like to see? And, and let's look for the moment, let's say, because we're, you know, the comedy festival in the industry, in the entertainment industry, you know, what's one change that could be implemented that would make life easier for, for people with disabilities, not just performers? I think, for me, the, the industry, the festival, going, approaching venues that are, that are accessible, working on getting grants or working with sort of yeah. governing bodies that... Um, you know, have a bit of bit of cash maybe, and 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 putting on like actively working with the community disability community, yeah. putting on shows and and opening up opportunities for other people because like we're we're doing it, yeah. But we've made it happen, and because yeah. we're arrogant and like um, you know fooled ourselves a little bit. But so many people may not have that that extrovertness and that yeah. personality, and they they it might they might have got to the first hurdle and went, I don't want to do this yeah. because it's too hard but so I think yeah if the industry or the festivals went to venues and went outside festival time too yeah and sort of went as the the beacon and become yeah. rather than bad we could we could bag out venues for not being accessible all day long but let's let's find venues and champion them and and yeah. sort of twist it a little bit yeah yeah, yeah I think normalizing it yeah just normalising accessibility and inclusion as like what you want your comedy club or your comedy venue to be or your cafe or your restaurant. Just like having us be in, not only in the audience, but as performers. Um, just having that a part of, yeah, an ethos of a club or the community to just, and yeah, like you said, to look at how, what are the gaps and how can we bridge those? And obviously it's expensive, but it's like there's money. You know, we can buy submarines that are like <laughs> so old. There's money for the arts and there's money for accessible arts. It's just like, yeah, I think that, that's what I would like to see, just that kind of from the get-go, this idea that, oh, we can make this better and we can approach venues that aren't up. 10,000 flights of stairs or, you know, no Auslan interpreters or difficult for vision impaired or blind people to navigate, all that sort of stuff. It's like, we can do it. It's possible. Yeah, yeah I, I know. I second all this stuff. I would like also a caption show, yeah. one, just one caption show for every show at a festival. I think it, it's just like, that's the thing. Sometimes you get so specific with your need, but it's like, that's what I would really need. That yeah. would make me be able to go to all of the shows. Yeah. If there were just one day that all of the shows had captions. And see, that's something I've never considered because like whenever I do the festival, every Sunday I have a sign interpreter. Right. But that does that still doesn't allow you to come to the show necessarily. Yeah, but I, that's the thing. So I'm always just like, like, hope someone does it. But like, I wouldn't ask about that. It's just a bunch because it's like, but unless there's like, I, that's the thing. It's like if people with disabilities are part of the conversation in the first instance, it doesn't have to be like this sort of feeling of like, oh, I really don't want to be annoying, but I can't understand anything, and I love this, and I wish I could. Yeah. You know, like I'm here, and like there's people I I admire and respect all of it, and I just can't go. You know? Yeah. So that's like it's unfortunate that. It seems to me the solution is what you just said, people with disability as part of the conversation yeah. in the first instance. Yeah. Yeah. Once yeah. they're there from the get-go, then you don't have to consult them afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. And look, exactly. to be fair, as someone who's been doing the festival for a number of years, <laughs> uh, and I remember, you know, thank you so much for being here. Um, I remember, oh, I'm going to say maybe 20 years ago, being part of an article in The Age about 
comedians with disabilities at the Melbourne Comedy Festival, and it was myself, it was someone with a hearing impairment, and it was an English comedian called Daniel Kitson, and he was included because he had a stutter. <laughs> That's how desperate they were to find comedians with disabilities. They couldn't find three comedians at the festivals with disabilities. They had to go, you guys, ah, the stutter, does that count? <laughs> and I remember Daniel going, this is, this is shit. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a disability. Um, whereas now we've got yeah. four on stage and Rosie Jones can't be here because she's doing her show. So there has been giant leaps forward, yeah. but... Yeah, dis people with disabilities is part of the conversation in the first place, I think, yeah. is certainly my takeaway. Yeah. Um, can we have a round of applause for everyone who's safe? Thank Alexandra, for Lara, and for Oliver. Bye, Bye go, Bye. go, go! <laughs>